Morning, everybody. How are we doing? We all glad to be here? Yeah. Just the one. <laughs> Just the one glad to be here. Okay. That's fine. Other people may struggle, you know? Maybe we you know it's... Church can be a funny old thing, can't it? You know, you, you can look forward to going and then it just doesn't quite meet one's expectations. Or you kind of drag yourself here. I think, well, I've, you know, almost out of obligation or because your parents have chased you here or something like that, you know. Um, it's, it's hard. Church can be really tough. Now, this morning, I've got a curious title. I'm supposed to be talking on Who Hates Church. So hands up. All right. So who has at some time in their life hated church? Yep, that's pretty good. That's over half. That's, yeah. It's a funny thing, isn't it, about church? We have a love-hate relationship with it. Whether it's as the institutional church, you know, where uh, all the fuss over women priests and divorce and at the moment with all the sexuality things and all those issues cause hurt and pain because it seems to the outside world that the church is being judgmental and prejudiced and quite frankly it probably is and using the bible to to do that as well which is a bit sad when jesus was very hot on love 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 your neighbor as yourself all you should do is love not judge. In fact, he said very clearly, do not judge. But I'm not going to get into that this morning because otherwise you'll be here. What was the accusation, Andy? <laughs> Long and turgid. So I've taken that as my instruction for this morning. <laughs> I've told the uh, base groups uh, to expect the kids for lunch. <laughs> yeah, so, long and turgid. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, who hates church is a bit strong, what do you think? I mean, maybe it's, there are times when it seems hard work. There's times when it seems unrewarding. I feel so far away from you. I'm sorry, I'm going to close up. Sorry, you shouldn't sit in the front row. <laughs> you know, sometimes it feels not worth the effort, frankly. You know, you go away feeling worse than when you came. And there's something about it, you know, that we come expecting to be given something or to feel something or to learn something but it's like a god's takeaway you know, we, we we turn up to the window and we grab it and run but perhaps it's not supposed to be like that now a lot of what i'm going to say this morning is is uh, sort of come out of a book that i've treasured for a long while and it's by a chap you'll never have heard of, at least I doubt whether anybody's heard of a chap called Professor Gilbert Bilizekian. Nope. Okay. Anybody heard of Willow Creek Church? Yeah, a lot of people have heard of Willow Creek Church. So Gilbert Bilizekian was the theologian behind Willow Creek Church. He was the professor uh, that was appointed. He was one of the founder members of Willow Creek Church. And he wrote a book, well, lots of books, but one of them uh, that's relevant for this morning is Community 101. Anybody come across that? No? I recommend it to the house. It's really rather good. Not too turgid. <laughs> and he wrote this. 
Anyone who claims to love Christ without loving the church that Christ loves does not really love Christ. Ouch, that's a bit painful for a Sunday morning, isn't it? I'll read that again. Anyone who claims to love Christ without loving the church that Christ loves does not really love Christ. He goes on, and I've, I've had to cut this down because it's in paragraphs of this stuff that he goes on about. The priest, oh, watch out, Derek, who claims to be the church does not really love Christ. And I've known a few priests who've, you know, no, it's got to be this way. This is how I expect my church to run. Hmm. A racist or a sexist Christian does not really love Christ. A greedy Christian does not really love Christ. Leaders who shackle ministry with hierarchy do not really love Christ. Christians who allow churches to wallow in mediocrity do not really love Christ. How well are we doing on that one, Barley Hill? Is it a bit harsh? Are we being a bit harsh here? Well, he goes on to say, Jesus loved life. He loved people. He loved his disciples. He loved the rich young ruler. He loved his father. He loved John and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He loved the whole world of nature that he created. But the dominant thing in his life was his love for the church. And he calls the church by an amazing title. He calls us his bride. He wants to be married to us. Joined together in companionship for eternity. We are his, his bride. It's an extraordinary image. Which means it's you and me he's talking about. And yet why do we still find it hard to emulate him? You know, Why do we let... The demands of our families, of our children, of our time, of our friends, of ourselves, come before spending just one hour a week in the company of his brothers and sisters. But we do. We all do. Even the preacher can, can fall at this hurdle. We do struggle. We do struggle. Now, um, Greek word warning, uh, diaconia, that's the Greek word, so now you can relax. Uh, <laughs> anybody know what it means? No, okay, don't worry about that. It means service, diaconia, service. It's the word behind our word deacon, although we're not very Anglican here, you might have come across deacons. Yeah? Uh, when someone uh, has finished their training, the first thing they're ordained as is a deacon. So you know, they can't do communion yet. They spend a whole year as a deacon, as a servant. And it's kind of what's behind it is that uh, passage in, in Acts uh, chapter 6, verse 7, where all the, the apostles got so, so great demands on their time that they... Um, they, they said, well, let's appoint some servants, some people to serve the people, to do all the dog's body stuff, all the gopher stuff, and take the pressure off us. Let's appoint some people to serve. 
And we're all called to serve. That's part of our ministry. Part of our, we're all part of the diaconate as servants. And to do this, we're given spiritual gifts. Okay, do you know your spiritual gifts? Everybody's got at least one. Or is that a complete mystery for most of us? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Well, write this down. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. That's only one of the passages that deal with them. Nobody's got a pen. Nobody's got a piece of paper. You'll all have to listen to the recording then. Or put it on your phones, of course. I'm sorry, I'm a bit old-fashioned with <laughs> pen and paper. Sorry, guys. There's all these gifts. And the reason it's important to know these gifts, to know what your gift is, is for the reason that God gives them to us. He doesn't give them to us for aggrandizement. He gives them for the common good. So for instance, there's the gift of mercy. Are you one of those people who just can spend inordinate amounts of time with another person who is in pain, who needs a cuddle, who needs an act of mercy? Or perhaps you've got the spiritual uh, gift of faith where it doesn't matter what God throws at you, what the world throws at you, you're just rock solid. Jesus is my Lord, full stop. And you can plough through all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. There are all sorts of spiritual gifts. There's a spiritual gift of teaching and preaching, of healing. Anyway, look them up. Servanthood. It's important to know your gifts. So look at the passages on spiritual gifts. Start with that 1 Corinthians 1, and if you've got one, most Bibles will direct you to other passages that have got the, the same, they're talking about the same thing. We need these gifts because we are all called to service. Now I've got a, it's every member ministry. We're all in the diaconate. Now I've got a little... Um, High-tech illustration. Are you ready with my high-tech illustration? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's because I've got it over here. <laughs> Are you ready for my high-tech illustration? Okay. A lot of us think of church like this. See how high-tech I am. <laughs> okay, so you would have, like, the vicar. Church wardens, PCC, various other committees, and then all the dogs' bodies and you know the people who sort of come and go at the bottom. Very hierarchical. We, we easily fall into this trap because if you're not at the top, you haven't got so much responsibility. I think that's what it's about, that we actually don't want the responsibility. But the way that Jesus expects church to be done with every men member ministry, it's like that. Ignore the name and the stamp. <laughs> Suddenly when I got here this morning, I thought, oh, I was going to do that illustration. <laughs> and then Debbie has handed some envelopes. <laughs> so I got me pen out. But you see, there's all these chairs in a circle, and one of them would be the vicar, and another one would be you, and another one might be a church warden, and another one might be a, a children's group leader, and everybody is equal. 
It's such a shame that we have to set our church up like this, isn't it? Because the screen's there. It's very hierarchical. Yeah, You're all looking at me as the boss, as if I know more than you. No, I just know a little of what I'm talking about, but you know lots more. It'd be great if we could all share. And I think if we did that, you know, we'd maybe hate church a little less. We find it a bit easier. Oh, that was silly. I've just lost my place. Oh, there we go. Consider Mary and Martha, and consider Jesus washing the feet. Those two illustrations. Some people take the Mary and Martha reading, you know, and, and they suck their teeth when they hear about Mary, who's sort of busying around and distracted and worrying, and, and say, look at the example of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Yeah, fantastic. Got Jesus there, so yes, let's listen to him while he's here. Not get distracted by worries and stuff. And yet so often we're like Martha, not like Mary. Is that the model for service? It's a model for service, because think of the other reading. Here you've got Jesus washing his disciples' feet and saying, now you do it. This is love in action. So we've got to balance the two. And what Bill Hybels came up with was when he summarized Acts 2, 42, 47, was a list of, of uh, actions for the church. He said it was about being love, love and be loved, know and be known, celebrate and be celebrated, serve and be served. Serve like Jesus. Be served like Mary. Serve and be served. Trouble is, I suspect that while we're comfortable to be served when we're in a restaurant or at the supermarket, there's something about the way we're wired, especially us Brits, that kind of don't like being served really. And in church especially. You know, no, it's okay. No, it's fine. I'll do it. It's fine. No, 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 no. It's all right. I, I can manage. Instead of just saying, honouring this person's offer, their ministry. So, yeah, of course. Come and help. But it's important as the church of Barley Hill to get this balance between serving and allowing people to serve you. It's an important balance. And it's a kind of a paradox because on the whole we come to church just to receive, not to give. It shows in the number of volunteers we get to, oh yeah, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll do that. Uh, how many people have we got in this morning, Debbie? Roughly? Six, 60, 70? Okay. So if, if a couple of people... Sorry, 75. Okay, so if... Uh, divide that by two or by three, whatever's convenient. Let's call it... Uh, divide it by three. So if three people a week decided to, to serve, uh, it would take you 25 weeks for your turn to come round again. 
That's interesting, isn't it? You know, you think it's going to be a chore. Oh, I'll volunteer to put the chairs out. 25 weeks before your turn comes round again. If everybody did it. We tell ourselves we're giving, we're offering our worship to God. We're offering our prayers to God. But on the whole, we're takers. And what Jesus wants is for us to redress that balance. Because we're also called to serve the community. But until we can get it right here, we're not going to get it right out there. There's some fantastic uh, scripture sentences that I'm going to read out now. 25 of them. Oh, no. Turgid? <laughs> Long, yes. But you just listen to these. I'm not going to give you the references because that would make it turgid. <laughs> these are called the one another's. Have you come across the one another's in the Bible? I just think these are wonderful. But if we're talking about how the church should serve and be served, listen to this. Be devoted to one another. Honour one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Express equal concern for each other. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Counsel one another. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love, each, love one another deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Love one another. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus spoke about how he was one with the Father. I am with the Father and the Father is me. And he also said that he was one with us. We kind of lose that sometimes, don't we? This oneness. But as Eking promotes what he calls the community of oneness. Being, doing all those things for one another. As church, we are one another. As church, we are community of oneness. We're one together and one with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That you might be one as my Father and I are one, said Jesus. Barley Hill, I think that's our goal. Amen.